Nothing yet? Let me know when it's, if anything happens. Yeah. I mean, your device. No, what do you? Just from the other no, just. I can hear you the okay, I think they're they're starting now. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Council of American Ambassadors Roundtable discussion with Ambassador Lena Marks. My name is Kathleen Sheehan and I'm the Executive Director of the Council. And before we get started, I just have two brief housekeeping uh, announcements. One is just to remind everybody that we will be recording this talk so that we can post it on our website afterwards uh, so that council members who are not able to join live can watch it later. And secondly, we strongly encourage questions from the audience so that this can be a discussion. Um, in order to submit your questions, all you have to do is click on the bottom of your Zoom screen on the Q&A button and type in your question. And then when we, get when we get to the point in the program where there's questions, we will read those questions and have our guest answer them. And so with that, I am delighted to introduce council member and board of director member, Ambassador Brenda Johnson, who is here today to introduce our speaker and to moderate the discussion. So with that, I turn the floor over to you, Ambassador Johnson. Thank you. Good afternoon to my fellow ambassadors at the council and family and friends who have tuned in to this fun hour. Ambassador Lana Marks and I met in 2004 when we were both invited by Ambassador Bonnie McElveen Hunter to attend a Helsinki Women's Business Summit in Finland. Although we were separated by many miles, our friendship continued. Modern technology made communicating easy, especially when Ambassador Lana Marks was serving our country in South Africa. All of you have been sent Ambassador Lana Marks' impressive biography, so I will not go over each and every detail. Needless to say, a woman born in South Africa who speaks two dialects of the country and knows the country well was the perfect choice to be our United States ambassador to South Africa. Lana is a hard worker, a woman of great accomplishments. We all look forward to hearing about her exciting times in South Africa. Lana, Ambassador Marks, welcome home. Please share with us some of the highlights of your tour of duty. Thank you for your warm welcome, Ambassador Brenda Johnson, and for your unswerving friendship over many thank years. Thank you. Council of American Ambassadors, thank you for this prestigious invitation to speak before the Council of American Ambassadors this afternoon. I thought I'd use this opportunity to discuss my background, to share some of my passions and to detail some of the various projects that I worked on during my time in South Africa. I always like to begin with my father, who escaped the anti-Semitism of Lithuania in the 1930s. 
He established our home in South Africa, working his way through university, earning a degree in engineering, and then going into real estate development. My father was a good and fair man, and I'd like to begin with him because he believed that every person, no matter what their race, creed, religion, or sex, should have their own fair share in life. And as the apartheid laws came into effect, he realized that the values of his adopted country did not match the values he held so dear. When I was a teenager, he played tennis on weekends at our house with the famed anti-apartheid journalist, Donald Woods. I remember Woods describing the Stephen Biko case, how Biko died in the back of a lorry, having been denied medical care as it drove across the country. Likewise, I remember the cars that always seemed idling down the road on those afternoons, government agents monitoring Mr. Woods' every move. I married my husband, an Oxford-trained psychiatrist, when I was 22 years old, and we moved to Bermuda, where he established himself as the island's top psychiatrist, and I played tennis and soon became the island's top female player. I've always strived for the ideals my father held so dear, even when they came at a cost. We could have been happy with our lives in Bermuda, but I witnessed the same inequalities that my father had taught me about. The top tennis pro on the island happened to be black, and I insisted on playing with him because he was the best. Between his being black and my being Jewish, we had to play on the public courts. This rubbed the old guard the wrong way. When after five years, my husband applied for his work permit, he was denied. A government minister explaining to a third party as documented at the time in a sworn affidavit. I hope you know that he's Jewish. For many years, we fought the establishment in Bermuda. Dame Lois Brown Evans, the ultra liberal opposition leader represented our case because she saw the situation as being so patently unfair. Indeed, it took the equivalent of the Supreme Court only 10 minutes to overturn the lower court's ruling with them castigating the original judges for even hearing the case. But we had a new family, and when my husband was offered a professorship in medicine at the University of Miami, we left everything behind for our new home, the United States of America. When we arrived in Miami, we didn't even have enough money to buy film so that we could photograph my daughter's birth. We drove a secondhand 1985 Honda Civic that we nicknamed Noddy after the children's book. Eventually, my husband passed the foreign medical boards and qualified as a doctor in the United States. And I, from the kitchen table of our small apartment in Miami, started a business. After two years of research, I finally convinced an Italian factory to make the first few bags. It took me 60 phone calls to get through to a department store buyer who, based on my persistence alone, allowed me to do a little two-hour showing of five handbags from two till four. But I showed up two hours early, stayed two hours late, and at 5.55, one of the store's best customers came in and bought two of the bags and then came back the next day and bought three more. We moved to Palm Beach where my husband started a private practice and I grew my small artisanal handbag business until I could finally afford an office and then the office next to it and then the entire floor of offices. 
Within several years, I was selling to 43 department stores, visiting over 100 countries in the past 15 years alone. People often saw the finished product. They didn't necessarily see the years of hard work and sacrifice of spending weeks and months on the road, zigzagging the country, of unpacking and repacking suitcases, of arriving at the office just past dawn and leaving close to midnight. This work instilled in me a sense of tenacity and determination and the ability to craft creative solutions to business issues. When my nomination was first announced, I know that there was perhaps a focus on the phrases fashion designer and Palm Beach and with about as many word plays on the word handbag as you can possibly imagine. All of those hype words are used to cover the real story, which is I envisioned started and ran an American business, an outlier in a traditionally European field creating American jobs and supporting American farmers in both Louisiana and Florida through experience with supply chains, international negotiations and marketing. I came to be known by the president who thought that my business background coupled with the depth of my knowledge with the important and interrelated issues of South Africa would serve relations between our two great nations, the continent and our roles in the world. I will always be thankful to the president for his confidence in me, and more importantly, his vision of the possibilities of our two countries working together. On the way to meetings in the West Wing, we'd sometimes drive by the Department of Commerce building where a quote on the facade struck me. Commerce defies every wind, outrides every tempest, invades every zone. No matter what your personal philosophy, I want you to think of the aptness of that quote, to consider any area of life, not just in South Africa, but perhaps anywhere in the world that wouldn't be radically altered and improved by the guarantee of a job, by the ability to provide for oneself and one's loved ones. It is the base of the pyramid from which everything else is built. Franklin Roosevelt, in his Four Freedoms speech, enunciated core American values that would become the foundation of post-war American foreign policy, the guiding principles of the freedom of speech, freedom of religion, the freedom from want, and the freedom from fear for everyone anywhere in the world. In my philosophy, the means by which we achieve these goals is not through government or by state-run companies saddling developing countries with sometimes crippling debt or jeopardizing their sovereign assets. I am a pragmatist and believe in pragmatic approaches, facilitating whatever means we can for the dual purpose of making both South Africa and the United States stronger and sustainable partners to simultaneously make our countries greater. This means helping business do business. This means ensuring a brighter future for South Africa's youth. This means making sure South Africa's next generation is free from the epidemic risks of HIV AIDS and tuberculosis. This means that we facilitate and preserve power and water and supplies. This means ensuring that women have an equal place at the table. Upon my arrival in South Africa as ambassador, the relationship between our two great nations had been in the proverbial doldrums. They were our 39th trading partner and we were their third trading partner. Even before COVID, unemployment in South Africa was hovering near 25%. 
the HIV AIDS infection rate plaguing nearly 20% of the population with epidemic control nowhere in sight. The young, those under the age of 24, were overburdened in these two areas, especially and specifically with nearly 56% unemployment and a staggering rise in HIV among girls between the ages of 15 and 24. The crime and murder rates are some of the highest in the world. There was state capture and cadre deployment and the wreckage of nearly a decade of President Zuma's rule. State-owned enterprises had been stripped of their assets and the family who most likely did all of the stripping had fled the country with billions and billions of dollars in government money. Water shortages and power outages, crumbling infrastructure and economic uncertainty. If you want to hear an infuriating statistic, 44% of all water output in South Africa is lost to poorly installed leaking pipes to this day. Within the realm of multilateralism at the United Nations, South Africa, which held a seat at the Security Council, had one of the highest rates of voting against us. Over the years, malign actors on the international stage had attempted to fill this vacuum. Under chief of mission orders are some 1,400 employees spread across three consulates, one embassy divided among 29 departments in five separate buildings. In the 20 years before I arrived at post, I was told there'd been a total of eight, as in the single digit eight, ministerial meetings between the US embassy and the South African government. By the time I left South Africa, it was not uncommon for me to be having eight ministerial meetings a week. My technique was one of unconditional positive regard of meeting them on their own terms, respecting their sovereignty, crafting creative solutions and viable alternatives. Immediately I began engaging with South Africa's government to set up South Africa's own works progress administration. Say that it's paired with US private sector companies which had been selected and vetted by our commercial services. These projects involve bridge construction, road repair, water reclamation and photovoltaic technology, large scale public works opportunities in South Africa that were not previously on our radar, which will create hundreds of thousands of jobs on the ground, both in South Africa and the United States and further our bilateral relationship with billions of dollars in deals. With my help, the Development Finance Corporation signed its first ever nuclear energy agreement with the US company. I researched and vetted the company and shepherded the deal for the first nuclear power plant in Africa, within South Africa. And when one of DFC's critical investments, a helium and liquid natural gas extraction deal was stuck for over a year, Due to delays in administrative approvals from the government, I was able within 48 hours to unblock the deal through my relationship with the South African government. In my first year, I engaged with the media nearly 100 times, including print, online, TV and radio interviews with both major stations and papers, as well as smaller, more local outlets to promote the work of the United States in South Africa. In my messaging, I vociferously promoted not only our strong relationship, but also women's empowerment and leadership, youth opportunities, employment, education, healthcare partnerships, and the unwavering American ideal of freedom. 
I am passionate about the power of exchange programs and leverage my relationship with our leaders in this field to encourage the expansion of existing programs and the development of new ones, launching partnership programs in Pretoria, Johannesburg and Cape Town. In the realm of UN voting at the Security Council, whenever I advocated on behalf of a cause, on behalf of the United States, South Africa either voted with us or abstained. With a bit of heavy lifting, the Durban consulate was temporarily upgraded and is going to be re-established at a newer, better location in Umschlanga, a process that usually takes a decade. And thanks to a great deal of advocacy, NASA has partnered with South Africa to host a deep space ground station, which will support human spaceflight missions, the fourth station of its kind on the planet. Within the agricultural realm, poultry imports grew to be 15% over quota from the United States to South Africa, with June 2020 being the highest to date on record. And citrus exports from South Africa to the United States were up 68% for 2020. Working with the Minister of Agriculture, the first such engagement in three years, we established a high-level task force on agricultural issues to develop practical, timely solutions to any matters that may arise. I also led efforts at post to expand US port access for South African citrus and engaged with the Secretary and Agri Undersecretary of Agriculture, as well as US trade representative to resolve bilateral agricultural trade problems. These efforts led to the opening of additional US ports to South African citrus. And in November, 2020, the USDA finalized the rule allowing pre-cleared South African citrus to enter through any US port with cold storage facilities, meaning that it's both easier and less expensive to do business with South Africa. I worked intensively to create telecommunications alternatives for South Africa and Africa and played a leading role in implementing this 5G strategy for the region, including meeting with private sector companies to provide South Africa with these alternatives. I was significantly involved with proactive solutions for state-owned enterprises to help pair them with American partners who can assist in their maintenance, management, and restructuring. Within PEPFAR, and if you don't know about this most amazing program, please, everybody, Google it. We maintained unwavering focus in driving the interagency health team to achieve the PEPFAR goal of HIV epidemic control in South Africa, a goal that is now closer than ever. By enhancing the embassy's relationship with the Department of Health and the Office of the U.S. Global AIDS Coordinator, I personally led the interagency health team in maintaining a continuity of HIV services amidst the challenges of COVID-19. PEPFAR's COP20 budget and implementation process was completed and improved in record time. And during the peak of the COVID-19 pandemic, PEPFAR programs ensured continued, in fact, increased access to antiretroviral treatment through innovative community and patient-centered approaches, enabling continued retention on treatment for millions of people living with HIV in South Africa, despite a strict lockdown and severely affected health system. On a PEPFAR site visit, we expanded the working hours of several clinics without the need for additional funding. And at the suggestion of one of our Peace Corps volunteers, we installed a digital filing system, which reduced the wait time at several clinics from three hours to 10 minutes. 
as a direct result of these changes, each of these clinics now has a capacity to test an additional 50,000 people a year. I met the Minister of Mineral Resources and Energy, who had no previous contact with our embassy at a cocktail party, and within half an hour of introducing myself, told him what the US could provide in terms of carbon capture and shale. And by the end of the evening, had him booked on a trip to the United States to come to Washington DC, Pennsylvania and Texas to meet with our Secretary of Energy and see firsthand how we can help. At the recent bilateral summit, he requested that South Africa sign an MOU with the United States to align with us on all of South Africa's energy needs. I was the first ambassador to visit the late Zulu King, a tremendously influential figure for millions of South Africans at his kingdom in KwaZulu-Natal, and we recorded a video for World AIDS Day to promote awareness and reduce stigma for testing ART1, ART1. I visited the Nindebele King and worked towards water reclamation and grain distribution within his region. I arranged for the USS Kearney, an Arleigh Burke class destroyer to make a port call to Cape Town, the first port call of one of our destroyers to South Africa in nearly a decade. And I arranged another port call of another great destroyer this past February, opening the doors for greater bilateral engagement with the South African Navy and the Ministry of Defense. At my direction, Fisheries and Wildlife Service disrupted a major plant trafficking ring and successfully obtained the extradition to the US of one of its leaders. And through enhanced bilateral cooperation, the US Department of Homeland Security and the South African police completed 29 joint pangolin anti-smuggling operations, which led to the arrest of nine suspects in September 2020 alone. As COVID-19 arrived on the continent, and as we entered one of the strictest lockdowns in the world, I coordinated the evacuation of several thousand cruise ship passengers, and thanks to several hundred phone calls, procured evacuation flights and landing rights for a further several thousand American citizens who became stranded in South Africa. As it became clear that there was a lack of vital advanced healthcare technology, I had the health team do a survey of how many hospitals in South Africa needed ventilators, and then set up a phone call between the presidents of our two countries. This resulted in a donation of 1,000 desperately needed American-made ventilators that weren't being used in the United States, which USAID directly distributed to ICUs across the country. Who knew that all that experience with airway bills would ever come in useful again? As a result of a phone call I had with the general in charge of AFRICOM in Germany, for the first time ever, a US C-130J Hercules flew to South Africa from Germany, carrying 330,000 US dollars worth of much needed PPE for frontline health workers in South Africa. I arranged for Ford Motor Company to donate several thousand face shields. USAID set up washing stations and water storage tanks in many of the townships that didn't have basic plumbing needs, to name a few. I also led the efforts to establish a $1.4 million state-of-the-art military field hospital in Mafeking, where there was a great regional shortage in medical facilities. An additional 800,000 personal protective equipment was donated to South Africa by our Department of Defense, a total of 54 million for the fight against COVID was donated last year by the United States to South Africa. 
in the security and law enforcement arenas, due in large part to extensive outreach efforts, persistence, and genuine interest and focus on finding avenues where both the US and South Africa are able to prosper and thrive by working together, I moved the discussions forward towards aligning with the latest technologies and I addressed judicial reform and training needs that were requested by several ministries. I led discussions with the police minister, the justice minister, and the minister of home affairs and the US Department of Justice, DOJ, the FBI and INL to pursue delivery of training programs that would have long-term impact on the security sector in South Africa and was a staunch advocate for the implementation of certain measures that will enable the South African police called SAPS and the National Prosecuting Authority to identify, investigate and prosecute those responsible for organized crime, trafficking and terrorism offenses. Working closely with Ambassador Richmond, I also oversaw the TIP trafficking in person evaluation and saw South Africa's status upgraded. I was the first US ambassador to meet with all nine premiers within the country and work closely with them to see how we could partner individual regions and states with their counterparts in the United States. With the Minister of Tourism, I worked on returning the Formula One World Championship to the Eastern Cape and have suggested different hubs and secured new routes for our airlines so that tourists will have better access to South Africa. With the Minister of Education, I arranged for used iPads to donate to rural schools who desperately need the technology. With the Minister of Transportation, I've been working to replace their outdated taxis with hybrid electric models made by an American company. Many workers are being retrenched from various industries and so pairing with some of our biggest American companies, I asked USAID to create an online portal that will allow workers to learn skills that they need to excel in other industries and discover jobs created by our companies. All in all, I've continuously accelerated any and all opportunities that have presented themselves in South Africa and strive to increase the bilateral relationship between our two countries. My singular focus on building this relationship has driven an increase in both visibility and partnership of the US in South Africa. I have very proactively brought US business and community leaders into direct contact with South African ministers and other decision makers in a way that has provided them with historic levels of access and opportunities for participation in public and private sector projects. Thank you everyone for taking the time to join me today and I would be happy to take a few questions. Can you hear me, Lana? Yes, now I can, can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Oh dear. <laughs> yes, I can. Okay, okay, good. Uh, that was, my head is spinning. There are questions that I have to ask and, and okay, great. Um, can you just go into a little bit of a description on the complexity of serving in such a large country with uh, two, uh, uh, places that you had to go back and do like a lot of us who had or would understand the complexity unless you tell us about it. 
thank you for that terrific question, uh, Ambassador Johnson. South Africa's mission comprised 1,400 individuals in three consulates, which were in Johannesburg, Durban, and Cape Town, completely different cultural parts of the country, as well as the embassy in Pretoria, the USAID building in Pretoria, which also housed the Medi, one of five Medivac centers of the world and uh, for Southern Africa and some parts of Sub-Saharan Africa as well. Um, we had 29 major departments, many of them with sub-departments, subsections, and we had a budget during 2020 alone of $1.1 billion just in programs assisting South Africa. The PEPFAR being the most major of all programs to um, arrive at epidemic control, we had our health teams and basically we would, I would ensure that I interfaced with all heads of every department and our three consul generals, at least on a weekly basis, if not monthly, quarterly, the consul generals would fly up to Pretoria and we would interface, we were on the same page with all programs. I encouraged communication between myself and all levels of the mission. And I said, look, if there's something terrifically positive that has transpired, let's share it with everybody. Share it with me, let's share it at country team. If there's something negative that's brewing or, or something that needs a solution, share it with me early on so that it doesn't become a major problem or a big fire that we need to put out. And I encourage tremendous amount of communication and sometimes even communication between departments. And this really facilitated everything tremendously. I set up tremendous communication between our, the ministers in South Africa and our various departments. And it uh, worked really, really well. It was a complex mission. There was a lot going on at all times, but with tremendous communication, um, it worked well. Um, this is Kathleen. I think Ambassador Johnson might be having a little bit of trouble with her internet connection. So I'm just going to jump in for a minute because we are already getting questions from the audience and I'll just read some of them to you, Ambassador Mark. So the first one is from Ambassador Sue Cobb and she says, in all of the many areas in which you worked, which was the most satisfying in which do you feel will have the longest lasting impact? I enjoyed every area tremendously. It was the greatest honor of my life to be representing the United States in the country of my birth. And what I really felt um, I enjoyed the most, it was a tremendous challenge when I arrived, was the PEPFAR program, a Presence Emergency Fund for AIDS Relief, uh, which was founded during the time of President Bush Jr. It's a multi-billion dollar program and there were some aspects of it languishing. We got the communication going. We dealt with the problems on the ground level and had tremendous communication with Minister McKenzie and all of his team, uh, Vice President Bakura, President Ramaphosa, and we had tremendous cohesiveness moving forward. And I really enjoyed that tremendously. And I think we're on close track towards epidemic control in 2021. Um, okay, Ambassador Johnson, are you 
Let's see, I'm not sure if she's able to connect. So um, let me do one more question that I see. This is from Ambassador Stuart Bernstein, who says, congratulations on a successful tour. And his question is, what is the COVID situation and how is their vaccine program working? And also, are you going back to your business? Thank you for those questions. Um, because we had such an expansive PEPFAR program with clinics throughout the country, healthcare workers throughout the country, we were able to prepare and pivot to assist and deal with COVID. I also got additional funding. We had 16,900 healthcare workers. I was able to obtain additional funding for an additional 5,000 healthcare workers um, for two six-month periods, which was fantastic that Washington was supportive of this in terms of COVID, dealing with COVID. Um, and this tremendously assisted South Africa with dealing with COVID and testing all the folks in South Africa for COVID. In terms of the vaccine, um, I'd had access to uh, Operation Warp Speed and South Africa was doing some trials with and for the United States. And so there was a very positive response to South Africa. Unfortunately, um, I ended my tenure recently. And um, at that time, we were very motivated to helping South Africa procure vaccines. Unfortunately, with the vaccine that they did procure through the EU, through the AU, they were not compatible with the South African strain. And so they sold them to other countries within Africa and now are in the process of uh, getting the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and others at this time. In terms of the mission, the vaccine did arrive for members of our mission recently, and I was very pleased that this was administered to all the folks within the mission. Um, in terms of myself, my daughter's doing a terrific job with my former business, and um, I'm figuring out what I'm going to be doing in the next couple of months and might even go into a consultancy or, you know, I'm assisting my daughter at this time. Um, and just taking a good rest and relaxation. I remember very fondly all the tremendous programs in South Africa. So just taking a bit of time off at the moment, then gonna figure out what I'm gonna do. But my daughter is doing a terrific job with the business, my former business. Uh, here's a question from Ambassador uh, Jim Gilmore. And he's asked, um, was there a growing presence of China in South Africa during your term? Can you speak to that issue of China's presence? South Africa is very protocol conscious and proud of their sovereignty. And so my vetting had taken quite a long time and we had a charge there. And so China had had a very aggressive a uh, few years in South Africa, very aggressive, sometimes to the displeasure of South Africa. They were really pushing hard for programs as they had done in the rest of Africa. And I saw this, I watched this while I was going through my vetting process. And when I arrived there, I did things differently to them. I respected the sovereignty of South Africa. So when I'd meet one-on-one -on -one with the ministers, I, I knew well what they needed in, uh, in the different ministries in, in South Africa. But what I said to them, how I positioned this was, could you tell me how the United States can help you? Please tell me from your perspective. So I always got them to give me their ideas where they needed alternatives. Even in the 5G arena, um, the Chinese have a 
a campus in South Africa the size of a soccer field with 18 buildings. And prior, a few months prior to the end of last year, I was able to hook up with the Ministry of Telecommunications, Stella, an extraordinary lady, and with our plan, put together an alternative for South Africa, and they were thrilled. Despite the fact that China had this huge presence, um, I think by doing things in a very positive way with South Africa and getting feedback on what they needed, which in the end was were projects that we were delighted to get involved in and, and procure for them. It worked really, really well. Shortly after I arrived, the Chinese ambassador was asked to leave the country. He had been very, very demanding and very strong. Uh, and all I can say is in that the year that I was there, it worked very, very well in creating a much stronger presence of the United States together with South Africa in the relationship, bilateral relationship. Uh, thank you very much. Um, again, I encourage members of the audience who'd like to ask a question to submit them through the Q&A button because we have plenty of time for more questions. Um, Ambassador Johnson, are you able to hear? All right, I'm not sure she is. Um, let me ask you another question, Ambassador Marks, and that is South Africa is not always a country that um, where the United States sends non-career ambassadors. So I'm really interested in your perspective on what were the special things that you were think you were able to accomplish um, because you were a non-career ambassador and you have a business background and you brought a different perspective to the job. Um, firstly, I was able to not take no for an answer and, and get tremendous access with high levels of the government in South Africa, the ministers, the president, and I'm somebody because of years and years of international and global business experience, is somebody who thinks totally out of the box and doesn't take no for an answer. And I'm very persistent. And if I feel something's right or I know it's right, I will go that extra mile or that extra hundred miles to get it done. And um, I didn't also, a very important thing, I didn't have a career at risk. So that those are various considerations. Uh, thank you very much. That's um, another question that somebody asked is, um, what, what would you sort of be advising the new, the Biden administration to either to continue from the policies that you put in place when you were there as an ambassador in order to continue the work that you were doing? It is essential that the high level communication continues. I had regular meetings with the ministers Saturdays, Sundays, one-on-one, -on -one, in which I'd built up a very strong relationship and they would tell me their problems they would ask for assistance, not just with the projects we were working on, but with their problems, positive, negative, in every direction. And I think it's tremendously important to have an ambassador there as soon as possible to keep up with this extensive bilateral communication. Also to ensure that the situation with the whole NASA program continues, the nuclear program continues, and many of the multi-billion dollar deals, some have already closed, but some are in the works at the moment, are closed very proactively. Um, and that's where our commercial services can assist, but particularly in terms of the leadership um, to keep up the momentum, please, in terms of the bilateral relationship and not let it slide back. Uh, 
Um, I think some people would be curious to know um, with regard to South Africa's uh, relationships with other uh, countries on the continent of Africa, what, what are some of the relationships there that are sort of most important for the US to pay attention to? What are the trouble spots? What are the successes? You know, there are unfortunately many trouble spots in, in Africa. And the other thing besides the United Nations and South Africa being on the U Security Council in the year that I was there, 2020 and 2019, President Ramaphosa, who's the most extraordinary gentleman and the best shot since Mandela, you know, that South Africa is ever going to get terrific businessman and sees so clearly what needs to be done in South Africa, became head of the AU. So he was expected to resolve many of the problems in Africa. And I think there's the misunderstanding that South Africa can just sort everything out, particularly if such an outstanding man will be head of the AU and meet with these. But all of these nations protect their sovereignty, each one, like Europe, for example, Italy, France, England, completely different. And it's the same in Africa. People don't often realize that. And each of these nations is ferociously proud. And it's not just you know, to be expected of Ramaphosa to solve each one of these problems. But for example, with Ethiopia and Egypt, um, and there are solutions to these problems. It's a matter of sitting down with the leadership in person and hearing both of them out. I met with the Egyptian ambassador who asked to meet with me, and he asked me to meet with the European ambassador, sorry, the Ethiopian ambassador, and I did. And they both passionately discussed their point of views and various um, agreements in the past. And I feel with our leadership, if we sit down and listen to both sides, but in person, carefully, there are solutions that, and a very important role that the United States can play ongoing with the existing problems in Africa, um, in terms of the problems in Morocco, in terms of Zimbabwe, there has from time to time been outreach. And I also feel in terms of Mozambique, um, I met with some of the oil people there to see what the situation was. And also in Namibia, there are solutions and this is terrific. I think it's very, very good that Senator Coons recently went to Ethiopia to address the Tigray problem. It's a terrible problem. It is so unfortunate and the Ethiopian people are so wonderful. So I see that as a positive that he personally went out there at this time. And um, I think there are solutions and I think that they so appreciate when the United States takes an interest and listens to all sides. Thank you. Um, here's a question that's been submitted by Ambassador Louise Oliver. Uh, she said, thank you for this presentation. You said that the consulates in Durban, Cape Town and Johannesburg had to deal with very different issues. Could you be more specific about what the issues are that each of them needs to focus on? Yes, um, just to give you an example, because I could be here all day. Um, in Durban, that's the area where we've had most challenges with PEPFAR, with the AIDS program, and getting to epidemic control. So we had to focus on changing some of the implementing partners. We had to focus on the multicultural aspect. That's why I 
when I met with the Zulu king, he assisted us because that's his kingdom of the of the Amazulu nation. So they dealt a lot with that aspect of things. In Cape Town, in the Cape, with the consulate in Cape Town, that's where the highest volume of business is generated between South Africa and the United States. It's absolutely phenomenal. So we pushed to get a new um person from the Department of Commerce, and I believe that person has just arrived there, so we can promote even more business. So from the point of view of that consulate, it was more in the perspective of business. In terms of Johannesburg, they handled a lot of the visas, they handled a lot of any problems that happened with American citizens, and also with trade and a promotion of our 29 uh, departments. So we had each one that had unique characteristics. Also Pretoria, we had the second largest uh, number of uh, ambassadors and embassies in the world after Washington. So it was a tremendous hub for interfacing in Pretoria in Johannesburg between all the different ambassadors, with whether it was the Four Eyes, uh, our very strongest allies, whether it was Mexico, and it, it really was wonderful. Uh, thank you. Um, here's one maybe final question before we start to wrap up, and that is in the beginning of your talk, you spoke about a couple of particular problems that affect the young population in South Africa, the HIV AIDS and also unemployment. Um, what are some of the specific ways that the United States can help South Africa deal with these issues uh, that are affecting the young, the, the future generations of South Africans? Thank you for that terrific question. We have something called the DREAMS program where young women are trained as mentors for young women in their community. And in fact, the Ministry of Foreign Affairs are very have expressed great interest in that program. We've expanded that greatly over this year and the rates of HIV infection and people on treatment has come down tremendously in the last six months because of that. But I think we can even expand the DREAMS program even more. And I think we really, really need to dramatically increase employment opportunities for the youth. Yes, we have 600 companies of our big companies in South Africa, but there's room for much more. There's room for much more trade. I was working intensively on that. And I think we need to create a lot more jobs for young people in South Africa. They can be technical jobs. They can be technical training. A tremendous focus on that is needed. Thank you. Um, I am really uh, sad to say that I think we're not able to get Ambassador Johnson back. She must be having technical difficulties um, from where she's uh, in, in New York right now. So unfortunately, she's not here to do what I will do in her stead, which is to thank you so much, Ambassador Marks, for this fabulous presentation. It was really wonderful to hear from you about everything that you were able to accomplish uh, in your tour. And we really appreciate your time and uh, your, your willingness to talk to us today. So thank you very much much and we hope to uh, see you as a member of the council in the near future and um, and with that I thank everybody for attending today so good afternoon thank you a great honor thank you